Well, as you grab a seat, go ahead and grab your Bibles. Turn with me over to Luke chapter 22. We'll be there in just a moment. But uh, before we get there, happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Are you ready for Thanksgiving? Who's not ready for Thanksgiving Day? Who doesn't actually have to do anything to prepare for Thanksgiving Day and therefore ready for Thanksgiving Day? I'll tell you, I love this time of year because for the next few weeks, everything we do keeps our focus on what is most important in life. We begin with Thanksgiving here on Thursday, and then for the next few weeks, we roll towards Christmas Advent, the remembrance of when Christ came and reminding ourselves that he will come again, not as a baby, but as a conquering king. And so this is a great time of year. And I'm so excited to be a part of this body, to be able to celebrate this moment with you. If you kind of go back in the history books, and most of you know this, the first Thanksgiving took place in 1621 when the Plymouth colonists had an autumn meal with some of the Native Americans. And from that year forward, for over 200 years, those in the Americas would gather for a meal every year to celebrate and to remember that it was only by God's providence that we came to the new world, that we had a home, that he, he took care of us, he gave us what we need, he gave our daily bread. Until in 1863, during the height of the Civil War, President Abraham Lincoln established this particular day, a day in November every year where we as a people would pause and we would remember with thanksgiving our good God for what he has done. And I find it so curious that we made it an official day during one of the darkest moments in American history. And so now for Hundreds of years we have gathered as a people to celebrate in November. And we've done great things to make Thanksgiving a great day. For instance, let me just give you a couple examples. Yams with marshmallows on top. Is that something to be thankful for, church? Oh, you bet it is. Thanksgiving Day Parade. Anyone like watching the Thanksgiving Day Parade? I love it and I like seeing the new balloons and oh, there's Snoopy and there's a Ninja Turtle and and there's, you know, Charlie Brown and there's, it's just great. Or what about this one? Football games. Oh, there is a God and he is good. Thanksgiving. We gather even in years where there are difficult things happening nationally or communally or individually and we pause to remember that we have a good God who has brought us to this point but for the grace of God we would not be here. Amen, church? And so we're going to talk about the Thanksgiving table today but understand the one we are going to talk about was not inaugurated a couple years ago or 150 years ago or 400 years ago, the Thanksgiving table we are going to talk about today is the one that began 2,000 years ago. And it began in a little room with this 
itinerant rabbi, a man named Jesus Christ, who had made these outlandish claims that some people had grabbed grabbed hold on and said, yes, there's truth, there's life, and he brings it. And there were others who said, no, we don't want to hear it. And they planned to kill him. And the night before he died, he gathered with his best friends, 12 apostles, and he gathered around the Thanksgiving table. And we read about this moment in Luke chapter 22, beginning in verse 14. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table, and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you, for I tell you, I will not drink it again of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and then gave it to them, saying, This is my body. It's given for you. Do this now in remembrance of me. Verse 20, in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. This is the word of the Lord. For centuries, Christ followers have gathered, and we have taken this beautiful moment around this beautiful table to remember a beautiful Savior and here's the thing, this, this little celebration has been given many different names. For instance, um, communion, right? We call this moment with the bread and the cup communion. We also call it simply the bread and the cup. Another name for it is the Lord's Supper because the night before Jesus died, our Lord, our Savior, took this meal and made it a special one, increased its value and said, this is a big meal for my family. But there's another word that has been used historically to describe this meal. And it's a big word. It's one we don't often use, but I think it's valuable. It's this word, Eucharist. Eucharist. Now that word is just a fancy Greek word that simply means thanksgiving. We get it from this passage. Twice Jesus says, and he gave thanks, Eucharist. He gave thanks, Eucharist. He gave thanks and he gave the cup. He gave thanks, he gave the bread. Our Savior was giving thanks. Now consider this moment. He gave thanks and the Eucharist was born during the moments of greatest suffering and trial for our Savior. And yet in the midst of suffering, he was able to give thanks. This morning, I want us just to unpack this beautiful moment as you prepare to unroll a feast for family members to come, or maybe you, like us, will not be providing the meal. You'll just kind of show up and be the locusts that eat the meal. Whatever your role is this Thursday, I'm going to invite you to dwell with me on this most beautiful meal that we don't do just once a year, but we do it every week when we gather. Because here's what I know. In a room this size, With this many people, with this many stories, there are some in this room who right now, you are in the night before you are going to suffer. Others in here, you're in the middle of it. It's not in front of you, you're in the middle of it. And yet for others of you, you've just come out of a season of difficulty. And this 
Thanksgiving table, hear me now, if you and I can dwell on it, if we will rest in what this is talking about and what Jesus is giving to us, here's what I believe, that in the same way, in the same way that Christ gave thanks in his moment of suffering, you and I, as we understand what is being offered here, will be given the support, the strength, the posture to be able to stand with Christ, no matter what you're going through. I was talking to a friend not too long ago, and we were just discussing the fact that this time of year both heightens all the good stuff and all the bad stuff. Can I get an amen? Amen. All the good stuff. Man, Christmas is coming, and carols are going to be sung, and meals are going to be eaten, and presents, and it's going to be great. And Thanksgiving, where you go in, you, you, you know in advance you're already going to commit the sin of gluttony, so you just sort of say, please forgive, and then you just go to town, and it's awesome, you're going to have a great time. It's a great time of year. It's also one of the hardest times of year because it heightens everything that's difficult as well as everything that's good. This is going to be the time of year that for those of us who've lost loved ones, it's going to just feel more acute, isn't it? Uh, This time of year, people are going to spend more money over the next month and a half than any other time of the year. And we're going to feel it, some of us. And in other cases, this is going to be the time of year where you really want to be with family members around the tree or around the table, and you want these moments together, but you're going to have someone who's in the hospital, someone who's not able to be there, someone who may be there physically, but because of illness, they're not there all mentally, and it's going to heighten that. Hear me now. The Thanksgiving table is the place where we gain the posture and the resources to walk through life even in the difficult moments and give thanks through it. So, I want to look at this passage with three headings. If you like alliterations, here you go. We're going to look at this under three headings. The first one is the meal. The second one will be the moment. And then the third one will be the members. The meal, the moment, the members. And I'm going to give you a statement for each one of those. And then a reflection question for each one of those as we prepare our minds in just a moment to take our Thanksgiving meal with Jesus. So, the meal. Jesus begins this moment with his followers And he says, I have eagerly desired to take or eat the Passover meal with you. So he says, there's this specific meal that they're about to have. Go ahead and put that slide up on screen. He then, in this, there's bread and cup. And he says, this is my body. Notice this word, church, given for you. Now, to understand what is going on in this passage, we need to understand what's happening here. He says, this is really the Passover meal. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew people were enslaved in Egypt for 400 years. They had gone into Egypt as free people for the purpose of being able to buy bread, to be able to buy grain from Pharaoh who had stockpiled it in the years of uh, of plenty so that way when the famine came, he could feed his people. Well, the Israelites come in, they take part, they grow up there, they become this numerous people, and the Egyptians go, whoops, there's so many of them. We've got to do something about this, otherwise they may take us over. So they are then enslaved for 400 years. And they cry out to God. And God sends a man named Moses, and through him, God sends how many plagues, church? Do you remember the number of plagues? Ten plagues. And one after the other, he demonstrates his power, and he liberates his people. And on the night before their liberation, before the first born of Egypt dies. Notice this, it's the night before that 
They take a meal together. It's called the Passover. Now, the Passover, a couple things. When we think of bread and we think of cup, this meal, it's so very basic, but it is essential to life. Uh, I have a friend in Houston. Every year he, he does a fast for about three weeks. No food. He drinks water, but that's it. And he tells me, he says, you know, it's funny, Josh. At first, when I start, all I want, I mean, all I want to eat is a nice, juicy steak. Medium rare, little sizzle, baked potato, loaded up. Maybe a salad, but probably not because I'm a dude. And he just goes through all this that he wants. He's like, first few days, that's all I want. I just want meat and potato. Mm, Yes. He said, by the end of week one, though, I, I don't care if it's that, really. Now what I want is I'll, I'll just eat, I'll eat, I'll eat a sandwich from Jersey Mike's. That's what I want. Or, or from Jimmy John's. That's what I want. Just, you know, it doesn't have to be a steak, but, you know, something, you know, pile of meat, a little bit of lettuce, bread. Mmm. By the end of the second week, he says, Josh, all I really care, I don't care what it is, give me a bologna sandwich. I'm a happy man. By the end of that coming week, he says, I, I, I don't care what I Just give me some bread. I am so hungry. Just give me something to eat. Hear me now. When you and I, when you and I realize just how hungry we are, the bread of God becomes much more satisfying and obvious to the hunger of the heart. Here's the reality. You and I cannot create our own energy in our own bodies. We gain energy from something else. So we eat something and the energy from that food comes in, it infuses us with energy and we are able then to move. We cannot create energy. It requires an outside source being broken, destroyed, digested, and it gives its life so that we might live. When we come to the meal and we see bread and cup, this is a moment to remember That you and I will die physically and spiritually if not for something outside of us coming into us. And Jesus says, I will be that which can fill you, that will feed you, that will give you exactly what you need. Something that's so interesting about this passage is it's all about what he gives and what we receive. If you're like me, growing up, I never did much to prepare Thanksgiving meal. In fact, my job was never to prepare the meal. But I sort of felt left out. So my mom, she's like, hey, baby, you just go ahead, go set the table. And I was like, I'm a real boy. And I'd go and I'd help and I'd set the table. I'd get in there. I'd put it all together. And I felt like I did something. But, but I never provided the meal. The best I could do was help set the table. Hear me now. Every Sunday when we gather around this Thanksgiving table, the men who say the prayers, the men who make the comments, they are not providing the meal. They're simply setting the table of the meal we're going to receive because it's Jesus who gives and we receive. Now, another interesting thing on that, do you notice something odd about this little passage? It doesn't say that he took bread and then took cup, the end, but rather, do you notice there's two cups mentioned here? You wait, two cups? Why two? It turns out that in the Hebrew Passover meal, there were actually four cups. Really a fifth, but we won't get into that one today. 
There were four main cups, and it comes from Deuteronomy, or excuse me, Exodus chapter 6. There were four things that are mentioned in verse 6 and 7. Look it up this week. But each cup represented something, a blessing, a benefit, a promise of God. And so the first cup was the cup of sanctification, that God was taking them out of this old nation. He was going to set them apart, bring them out. The second cup was the cup of plagues, that there is a curse for sin. You and I, as sinners, we know there's a curse for sin. That's the second cup. The third cup, notice this, that is taken at the end or after the meal is the cup of blessing. And it's a reminder that the one who sent the curses now gives blessings to those who are in him. And then the fourth one is the cup of praise. Notice this, what happens here. I think it's so interesting. It says in verse 20, in the same way, after the supper, Jesus took the cup, saying... Now notice, it's after the supper. This is the third cup. He says, this is a blessing cup. When you and I take the Lord's Supper and we drink of the cup, what we are doing is we are receiving the blessing of Jesus. And he says, this is a new covenant. The bread and the cup. When you and I gather around the table, here's the first thing I want you to think about, is that Jesus Christ gives and we simply receive. So question this morning as we reflect on the meal. What do you need to receive from Jesus today? What is it that you're hungry for? What is it that's inside that's stirring up a need, a longing? What do you need to receive from Jesus? For some, today we just need to receive forgiveness. For others, we need to receive his peace because life is just crazy and busy and hectic and I got that call this week or my friend is in the hospital or my marriage is in danger or my kids are wandering and we need peace or maybe today what you need to receive from God is a fresh reminder that you are his son you are his daughter that nothing can separate you from the love of God through Christ Jesus your Lord maybe that's what you need to receive today what do you need to receive when we take the bread and we receive the cup what do you need to receive from Jesus because he says you cannot produce it on your own but I will come in and I will give you what you need the meal the second thing is the moment when you think about the moment this isn't just about the past although it is the past it's also about the present and the future notice what Jesus says here for I tell you I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until notice this the kingdom of God comes so earlier he says, do this in remembrance of me, but he then also says, which remembrance is the past, he says, but also when the kingdom of God comes, the future. This meal is about the past. We remember what Christ did, but it's also looking forward to the future when Christ comes again. But it's even more than just this moment. Uh, real quick, go ahead in your Bibles, flip over a couple pages to Luke chapter 24. This will not be up on the screen, but I want you to see this. After Jesus is resurrected, just a few days after this meal took place, on Resurrection Sunday, he appears to a couple of friends going down the road to Emmaus, a little town not too far, seven-mile journey. And Jesus walks along with them, and they don't recognize Jesus, even though these were two of his disciples. And so Jesus, walking with them, says, hey, what are you guys talking about? And they said, well, haven't you heard of the man named Jesus who was murdered just a couple days ago? And man, we thought he was the one. We thought he was the Messiah, but he died. And Jesus begins talking about 
taking them all the way back to the beginning of the Bible through Scripture. He says, look, God is pointing to Jesus, to Jesus, to Jesus, to Jesus, but they still don't get it. He goes with them to their house, and notice what happens in Luke 24, verse 30. When he was at the table with them, this is Sunday, this is the Lord's Day. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, Eucharist broke it and began to give it to them. And notice what happens in the moment that they take the bread. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized Jesus. And he disappeared from their sight. When, then they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up, returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the 11 remaining apostles and those with them assembled together and saying, it is true. The Lord has risen and has, dis- and has appeared to Simon Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them. Notice this. When he broke the bread. Hear me now. This is the moment where Christians around the world don't simply remember what Christ did. We don't just remember what Christ will do. We remember that Christ is with us now. He has not abandoned us. He is with you. Even this week when you face that which you know you will face. Even this week when you face things you don't know you're going to face. He is with you. When they broke bread, when he broke it, they go, he's really here. This is the moment where we remember not only what he did, but that he's with us today and that he will come again. Here's the second statement, this moment. Jesus will return. Go ahead, next slide. Jesus will return. He will come again, church. Let me ask you, as you take the bread in just a moment, as you take the cup in just a moment, can you imagine what it's going to be like when he returns? We're told that the heaven is going to rip open. By the way, won't that be awesome? What what does the sky look like if it's been ripped open? Like, what's behind there? You know, is it like, does it rip open like there's just God's hair or God's head staring at us? Like, oh, hello. I mean, what what is behind there? But it's going to rip open and Christ is going to return. And all the dead in Christ will rise and those who are still living, perhaps even today. Can you imagine? Hey, just dream with me for a moment. Think about it this week when you get with your family for Thanksgiving meal. Some of you are going out of town. You're going to go, and you're going to go to Granny's house, as we called my grandmother growing up. But she's not like, you know, the Beverly Hillbillies granny. She was like a a southern lady, okay. Granny's house. Or maybe you're going to Grandma's house or Grandpa's house. Or maybe you're going to an aunt or an uncle. Or maybe you're staying home, but there's that moment. Do you know that moment where maybe the sun is setting, it's getting dark because you've made the long trip. And you get close and you see the house where you're going to be. The lights are all on. And you come over the hill to the house. You turn into the driveway. And there on the porch, there's some of your family waiting for you. And they just can't wait to see you. And the kids are just kind of crazy because they're excited to be with everyone. And they've been in the car for who knows how long. And they just got to get out and wiggle. And so as soon as you park, the doors explode open. Everyone pours out and you go inside. And when you open the doors into the house, light is everywhere. The family is everywhere. The conversation is happening. It's almost deafening. The laughter and the hugs and everything that's going on. This moment of 
communion, of being together. And Jesus says, the kingdom, it's coming. And in that moment, you and I will be with all that have gone before. And God the Father will be there. And Jesus Christ, our big brother, will be there. And they will say, let thanksgiving begin. This is the moment that we remember today. And so the question, if Jesus will come again, how do you need to live today in light of Jesus' return? As we take the bread, as we drink the cup, what do you need to confess? What do you need to reflect on? How do you need to change or begin to think differently? Because he is coming again, friends, and I've got to tell you, it is going to be an amazing day. I just want to be, I want to live today and every moment as though he's coming back at this very moment. Here's the third one. So we have the meal, we have the moment, and finally we have the members. Notice what happens here, verse or chapter 22 and verse 14. When the hour came, Jesus and his, say those two words with me, his, let's do this one more time, everybody, his, so he gets together with his buddies around the table. Now, this is weird. You say, why is it weird? Well, because these men presumably were part of families. We know that some of the apostles had fathers. Zebedee was one of theirs. And in a Jewish house, whoever the oldest male of the family, he was the head of the house. And you would always have Passover with the head of your house. The apostles don't go back to their homes. They rather have communion, the Eucharist with Jesus What does this say about whose family they belong? They are in God's family. Can you imagine sitting around a table with these guys? Have you ever just paid attention to the kind of men who are the apostles? So you've got Peter who has a major case of foot and mouth disease. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, It's not hand, foot, and mouth, or it's not hand and mouth, it's foot and mouth. He constantly saying things that afterwards he's like, oh, why did I do that? And of course, all of the disciples are kind of going, well, I'm glad he said it, so I didn't have to say it. But he's constantly getting in trouble. Or, or, Or what about James and John? Do you remember what their nickname was, church? The Sons of Thunder. I've told you before, whenever I hear that, that sounds like an awesome 1980s wrestling duo, like, you know, Hulk Hogan and the Sons of Thunder. Ding! Here we go. They were known that way because of their fiery temper. One day, they got ticked off at a particular town for the way they treated Jesus and his followers. He said, hey, Jesus, should we just, like, cast lightning bolts from heaven? Go ahead, just call it down. And this is who they were. So you have a fast-talking Peter. You have quick-tempered boys. But let's just talk about Matthew. You know who Matthew is, right? Matthew, the tax collector. Matthew, the one who paid for the right to take money from his fellow Jews and give it to Rome. Do you think he was well-liked or, or hated? Yeah. And, and, and by the way, do you know who else was a part of the twelve? A guy by the name of Simon. What do we know about Simon, church? Oh, he was a zealot. Zealots. They were the freedom fighters of Israel. They were the secret assassins. They were known for carrying a dagger in their sleeve. They would come into a crowd when people were there and they'd... And then get out of the scene. They'd take out their political opponents. They would get rid of 
the Romans and Roman sympathizers. Can you imagine being Matthew with Simon? Like, you know, when you go to sleep at night, Matthew is like over here and Simon is here. And, you know, Matthew keeps an eye open so that way if Simon starts to make his way over through the night, Matthew just kind of keeps moving around, you know. This is the twelve. And yet they're the ones who are having the meal with Jesus. I wonder, do we have any Peters in this room this morning? Anyone whose mouth gets them in trouble? You say things you wish you didn't. I have said more foolish things from the pulpit than most people have said in their lives. I'm not going to share them with you. I have tried to destroy all previous recordings so they aren't out there. But I've said foolish things. I am Peter. Anyone in here a James or a John with a quick temper? You're driving along, maybe down 153 or Interstate 24. You know that little part of Interstate 24 that's always red? It doesn't matter what time. You say red, yes. Little GPS, red part. It's going to take you 12 hours. You've got to pack a day lunch and a sleeping bag if you're just going to go to Nashville. How many of you drive down Interstate 24 and you are like James and John, that one guy passes you and you say, Dear Lord, please smite them with a lightning bolt. (laughs) Amen. Is that you? Do we have any James and Johns who this morning are going to sit around the table but you've got a temper and you know, you know, you know God has got to grab hold of your heart but guess what? You still get to sit around the table this morning. Do we have any Matthews, people who have sold out who've made mistakes, who've made compromises with the culture, who've not been all in but sort of played the game? Do we have any people in here who are like Simons, the zealots, those who, man, your vengeance is not God's, vengeance is mine, saith Josh. And you're the one, you're just going to get, you're going to get your revenge. You're going to take care of things. Isn't it amazing that these are those who are around the table? Which means that at this Thanksgiving table, you and I can also sit. I was thinking about just this moment, what was happening there. How they were all together and how they were all around the table. And then Jesus makes this statement. He says, the one at this table, verse 21 says, the one at this table, one of you, you're going to betray me. And again, I wonder if they all didn't kind of freak out. In fact, we're told that they all kind of start wondering, well, is it me? Is it you? I mean, because they're like, well, I know me. I could do it. I, I see it. And, and, and although he's talking about Judas, the reality is everyone around that table that night was going to betray him by running away when people came for Jesus. And Peter, in fact, is going to deny Christ three times. And yet, hear me now. Even now, Jesus welcomes all. I don't care what you've done. I don't care where you've done it. I don't care who you've done it with. Jesus' invitation is to say, you get to be a part of the table with me. I'm here to extend mercy, Jesus says. He is here to welcome us into the family. And he says, as the big brother, I am now going to preside over this table. You are welcomed in. I think one of the best examples of this that I ever heard was from a man named John Weiss. He and his family have this wonderful tradition where they, every year, they will invite their homeless friends. And you say, friends? Yeah, they've become friends with the area homeless men and women. And every year they invite 
a group of them in. And, and it may be even more frequent than that, but at least once a year they will come in. And they invite them, regardless of what they're wearing, to sit around their table there in their dining room. And they'll sit there and they will hold hands. They'll say prayer. They will pass the meal. All are welcome. And one of the coolest things that John does that I think is just as incredible, if you were to look at that table, you'd think, well, this is a typical table until you looked not on top of it, but under it. Because if you look under the table, after the meal, everyone who is there is given a pen or a sharpie and invited to sign their name on the table. As if to say, this is my table too. I've been invited in. I'm part of the family. And the scriptures tell us that there's not a table with your name on it, but rather there's a book in which God has written in permanent marker, you're my child. This is your place. This is your moment. This is your meal because you're members of my family. And so as we think about the members, two questions here. Who is the member of God's family who invited you in first? Who is that person who said, you come sit with me. Jesus invited me, I want to invite you. In a moment, when, when you take the bread and the cup, would you not simply thank God for what he's done, but thank God for sending that person? And then the second part of this question is, who do you need to welcome to the table? Right now, some of us in this room, the best thing we could do is get out your, your cell phone and, and don't, don't make a phone call, but, but maybe send a text message to someone and Maybe what you need to do is reconcile right now in this time, in this place. Maybe that's what we do. You say, I'm sorry, can we talk? Or, or maybe in this moment you simply grab the hand of that person sitting near you. Although they are physically close, there has been that thing that's been going on and you are distant from one another. And you simply need to say, can we, can we go to the table together? For some of us in here, we feel so unworthy because of the things we've done. And we feel almost like it would be hypocritical to, to take the bread and the cup. But hear me now. This is the moment where we reflect, where we examine, and we confess to God, God, I'm not the man I want to be. I'm not the woman I want to be. But thank you. Thank you for giving so I can receive. For giving me a moment to remember that you did this in the past. You're changing my present, giving me a future. And now I get to sit around the table with you. This is what the Thanksgiving table is about. So now I'm going to invite our men who are going to serve the table to go and get prepared to, res- to pass these trays. And as they do it, I'm going to invite you to simply close your eyes and bow your head for just a moment. And as you do, I want to read these familiar words over you one more time. And then we're going to pray. With our eyes closed, our head bowed, considering that moment in that upper room centuries ago, hear the words of our Savior. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you. For I tell you, I will not eat again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. 
After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you, for I tell you, I will not drink it again until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread, he broke it, gave thanks, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me in the same way. After the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Father, we thank you for this moment, for this bread, for this cup. We thank you that in this moment we remember the meal. We remember what you gave and what we get to receive. We remember the moment that you died, but now you live. And we remember that we are members of this family, of your global church, And regardless of what we have done, it's what you did that we now get to eat and be part of the family over which you sit. Lord, thank you for this bread, representative of your body that was broken so that we might be filled. We pray this now in Jesus. Amen. He then took a cup after the meal. And this is the cup that he says is the new covenant. This is the thing that says what once was about showing you how you had failed, the new covenant is about how he is faithful. In the Passover, this is the cup of blessing. And in just a moment, after we pray, I'm going to invite you to do something. As you take the cup, would you turn to someone and simply say again, as we said at the beginning of this message, would you just say, God bless you? Because as you receive this, this is a cup of blessing. You do not need to die. You do not need to pay. Christ died and paid. And now he simply says you receive the blessing that he gave. So let us pray and thank him for this cup of blessing. Father God, we thank you for sending Jesus, for giving us life. And as we drink the fruit of the vine with its crimson hue, may we remind ourselves from this that you course through our veins. You pumped new life into these dead bodies, and now we are a resurrection people. We thank you for this cup of blessing and the reminder that for those who are in Christ, the future is beautiful. We thank you, Jesus. Amen.